Good evening and welcome to NTD News. I'm Stephanie Cox. Here are today's top stories. Hurricane Ian expected to hit Florida Wednesday night between Fort Myers and Tampa Bay. Authorities warning that Floridians will experience impacts from the storm for a long time. Lawmakers on Capitol Hill rushing to get a government funding bill through both chambers of Congress just three days away from risking a government shutdown. The New Orleans Police Department hiring civilians for some roles, including collecting evidence and responding to some thefts after the city became the murder capital of the U.S. A doctor who used to encourage people to get COVID-19 vaccines now says people should be more informed about the risks. And why is American beef shipped to China while Americans unknowingly eat beef from Africa and South America? NTD speaks with a Texas cattleman who says there's a war on beef. Hurricane Ian is expected to make landfall in Florida as early as tomorrow. It just hit Cuba this morning as a Category 3 hurricane. Hurricane Ian on Tuesday made landfall in Cuba, and it's on its way to hit the Gulf Coast of Florida by Wednesday night. Authorities say the storm is moving at 12 miles per hour, with winds up to 125 miles per hour. At this time, we are expecting landfall somewhere between Fort Myers and Tampa. By the time it reaches the shores of Florida, the storm is going to slow down to approximately five miles per hour. And this is significant because what this means is that Floridians are going to experience the impacts from this storm for a very long time. President Biden said the federal government is on alert and in action to help the people of Florida. FEMA has already deployed 700 personnel to the state and is preparing water, meals and generators. I just spoke this morning with the areas that are likely to be hit the mayors of Tampa, St. Pete's, and Clearwater. All of them, all of them are in the storm's path. And they're focused on the safety of their communities, and they're doing everything they can to get people out of harm's way. In an update on Tuesday, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis told residents in those areas to heed evacuation orders and beware that storm surges could be life-threatening. But the most important thing with the evacuation is just get to the higher ground, uh, get to safe structure. It doesn't mean you have to be in a place where there's no storm or where you're not going to face anything. Because in Florida, we have structures that, that can deal with these hurricanes. Tampa International Airport will close for Wednesday. Reporting by Allison Lee, NTD News. The House January 6th committee has postponed its hearing due to the hurricane. The hearing was scheduled to be held in Washington, D.C. A new date has not yet been announced. And a law firm today filed the first legal challenge to President Biden's plan to forgive federal student loans. The firm claims the president blatantly abused his power. The firm is representing one of its own attorneys who expects his loan to be forgiven under the original procedure. If his loan gets canceled under the new plan, his home state will treat the $20,000 benefit as income. The lawsuit claims the plaintiff will be stuck with a tax bill that he wouldn't otherwise have to pay. At today's White House briefing, Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre said anyone who doesn't want student debt relief will be able to opt out. And White House spokesman Abdullah Hassan told CNN, quote, The claim is baseless for a simple reason. No one will be forced to get debt relief. 
And over in New Orleans, the police department is enlisting civilians in a range of roles, some administrative, and others will reportedly have civilians responding to non-emergency 911 calls. It comes on the heels of a new recall effort against the city's mayor, Latoya Cantrell, and New Orleans overtaking St. Louis as the murder capital of the U.S. For a closer look, I spoke earlier today with attorney and former prosecutor Laura Rodrigue, who's also a member of the recall effort there. Laura Rodrigue, welcome to our show. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. Now, crime is surging in New Orleans, and the state's police department has resorted to hiring civilians to fill its staffing shortages. From your perspective as an attorney and former prosecutor, what kinds of issues does this pose? This has so many issues, uh, in my opinion, that I just do not see ending well for uh, neither the police department nor the citizens of New Orleans. Um, you know, they're saying that citizens will be responding to non-emergency calls and collecting evidence. Uh, it's confusing as to who will decide which non-emergency calls will dispatch these citizens to. Will it just be the 911 dispatcher? Um, also, you know, when a citizen arrives on a scene that is a non-emergency, it can certainly escalate quickly and become an emergency situation. I assume that the civilians are not armed and possibly not able to protect themselves should a situation become dangerous or violent and certainly not able to protect others on the scene who are relying on NOPD to dispatch somebody. Um, the collection of evidence presents a whole set of problems as a former prosecutor that, you know, that was very alarming to me to send a civilian out to collect evidence. And how does the civilian know whether that evidence requires a warrant? Um, and if it did require a warrant and the civilian takes the evidence anyway, there's certainly a good argument that will be made by the perpetrator that that evidence should be thrown out uh, when the case is brought to trial. There are just so many issues that could present themselves in allowing civilians to do the, the job of law enforcement. New Orleans is now the murder capital of the country. How did it get to this point? You know, there, uh, you know, certainly across the country, we see the, the effect of that defund the police movement. You know, that movement has had a devastating effect on law enforcement across the country. And because of that, we have seen uh, a spike in crime. But New Orleans seems to stick out almost as a worst case scenario. And that defund the police movement in New Orleans, that starts or started with the mayor. Is that correct? Well, you know, she was the mayor at the time that the movement sort of was brushing across the country, and she certainly embraced that movement. And, you know, by sort of punishing police officers uh, for minor infractions on duty or for, you know, really chastising law enforcement at every possible turn instead of training them and embracing the department. And this is the result of that. And she absolutely has, you know, been the cause and she is the leader of the police department. She runs that police department. So what has happened is a direct result of her failure to lead properly. A recall effort has started against Mayor Latoya Cantrell, of which you're a part. What's the sentiment like on the ground there in New Orleans now? And how's the recall effort going? Uh, you know, they had a, a, a meeting today about the recall and they are, you know, 
at already at 20% of the signatures that they need, and it's only been a few weeks going on. I can say that this recall effort has been a very unifying force for the city, one that we have not seen here in a long time. So what do you think Americans can learn from the situation in New Orleans and how to prevent it from happening elsewhere? You know, I think we should serve, uh, the city of New Orleans should serve as a cautionary tale to the rest of the country. They really should. Uh, you know, if anybody thinks that, first of all, don't bother voting or it doesn't matter, just look at what happened here with this lower, this low voter turnout and um, what happened with a mayor who, you know, sort of bought into liberal policies of defunding the police and absolutely has completely destroyed the city. You know, it will take decades to rebuild the city. And that's what people don't understand. You know, there are ordinary citizens who are afraid, especially women, afraid to drive down the street and stop at a red light. That's how bad carjackings are here. And it's all over the city. It's not in any particular part of the city. It's really anywhere you go, people are living in fear. I mean, this could be any city where people just sat back, relaxed, and thought it can't get that bad. And now here we are setting up folding tables on corners, trying to get leadership in place to save what's left of the city. Laura Rodrigue, attorney and member of No Latoya Recall Campaign, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. And earlier this month, Mayor Cantrell announced more compensation and benefits to try to recruit more police officers and retain them. And pro-life activist Mark Hook pleaded not guilty to federal charges inside a Philadelphia court today. That's according to Fox News. FBI agents arrested him in a raid last week. Justice Department prosecutors accused Hook of shoving an abortion clinic escort to the ground two times in an incident last October. A spokesperson for Hook, however, disputed those allegations. Hook's wife alleged to media outlets that dozens of FBI agents showed up at their home and pointed their firearms at her and her husband and possibly at their children. An FBI spokesperson told the Epic Times that some allegations about the raid were inaccurate. And we're just three days away from a possible government shutdown, and the Senate is considering a short-term funding bill. But some of President Biden's asks aren't included. Here's NTD's Melina Wisecup with more details on what's in, what's out, and what's still in limbo. Lawmakers are now working to fund the government with a bill that will expire on December 16th, a last-minute sprint that's now become routine in Congress. You know, it seems like every year it's pushed into the last minute to fund the government. It seems like it wastes a lot of money. Why do you think this is the case? Well, organization is the key to winning. I learned that in my 40 years of coaching. Not a lot of organization goes on up here. All these funding bills are held hostage for political uh, advantage, and that's what this happens here. You know, we, we go down to the wire, seems like every time, but a lot of money is wasted. But there always seems to be something put in with the bill. Included in this must-pass bill, $12 billion more for Ukraine. While this White House request was granted, Biden's other billion-dollar requests were not. Lawmakers did not include in this bill more emergency money for COVID-19 or a monkeypox. Um, but the expiration date of December 16th is something we can expect to see how uh, some House Republicans push back against, especially those members from the House Freedom Caucus. They preferred a temporary funding bill that would uh, expire later in January. This way, Republicans 
Republicans would have more control over 2023's annual budget if they were to take back the majority in Congress. But Democrats do have the majority in the House. So if as long as they have all the support from the Democrats in their caucus, this can easily pass the House and it is expected to pass the Senate later this week as well. Reporting in Washington, D.C., Melina Weiskup, NTD News. And turning now to the COVID-19 vaccines. Elements of mRNA are detected in breast milk. A new study found that the milk of some women contained trace elements shortly after vaccination. A study published on Monday tested the milk of 11 lactating women and found that five of them contained elements of either the Pfizer or Moderna COVID-19 vaccines. The study was published by an international peer-reviewed general medical journal called the Journal of the American Medical Association. It also tweeted warning, saying caution is warranted regarding breastfeeding infants younger than six months in the first two days after maternal COVID-19 vaccination. The study says that no vaccine mRNA was found beyond 48 hours after vaccination. Dr. Peter McCullough is a doctor of internal medicine and a cardiologist. In a statement to NTD, he said it is disturbing that the raw mRNA was found in breast milk before there was time to form antibodies. Breastfeeding women were strictly excluded from the registrational trials of COVID-19 vaccines for this specific reason. The adverse effects of mRNA in the pregnant mother and fetus infant are unknown. With older vaccines such as Tdap, the antibodies can be found in breast milk, but there have been no reports of the harmful antigens being transferred to the baby. Tdap is a vaccine that protects against tetanus, diphtheria, and whooping cough. Dr. Paul Alexander is a COVID-19 consultant researcher and epidemiologist. He says if breast milk contains elements of the vaccine, then it also contains antibodies, which raises some questions. Would the vaccinal antibodies outcompete and subvert innate antibodies of the innate immune system of the developing newborn? The innate immune system must be trained as soon as the maternal antibodies wane, and as such, if a breastfeeding child gets vaccinal antibodies from the mother, would this damage the child's developing first-line innate immune system? Republican Representative Thomas Massey blamed vaccine mandates for potentially endangering children's health. Now we find out that Biden's vaccine mandates caused infants, for which no safe dose has been established, to receive mRNA through their mother's breast milk. The FDA has not approved COVID-19 vaccines for infants younger than six months. Reporting by Arian Pastar, NTD News. And in more vaccine news, recently the FDA authorized Pfizer and Moderna's updated COVID-19 booster shots. But a doctor is calling for a pause of these shots, saying the risks outweigh the benefits. NTD's Arlene Richards reports. Last week, President Joe Biden declared the pandemic is over, yet the government ordered over 100 million updated COVID-19 booster shots made by Pfizer and Moderna. But demand for the shots is low. Dr. Asim Malhotra used to promote the vaccines until his father suffered cardiac arrest six months after getting vaccinated. That led Malhotra to research information that revealed Pfizer and Moderna vaccines may have more risk than benefits. He says he broke down the information and published it in the Journal of Insulin Resistance. As part of his research, Dr. Malhotra reviewed a study published in the journal Vaccine on August 31. That study reanalyzed data gathered from the original clinical trials for the Pfizer and Moderna COVID-19 vaccines. 
And what was interesting was the rate of a serious adverse event from the original Pfizer and Moderna trials using their mRNA technology was higher than the, the rate of hospitalization from COVID-19 in the placebo group. Now, this is shocking. Absolutely. This is a bombshell as far as I'm concerned. What does that suggest for me as a clinician, as a doctor, as a researcher? It suggests to me that when the vaccine was rolled out, it was likely, it was potentially, let me, let me be, it was potentially almost or likely for most people going to cause more harm than good. Pfizer trial participants who received a vaccine were 36% more at risk of a severe adverse event, while Moderna trial participants were 6% more at risk. Severe adverse events are defined as events that resulted in serious conditions such as death, inpatient hospitalization, and persistent disability. People are just being told, take the vaccine, it'll help you reduce hospitalization. No one's broken down the information in a way that's, that allows people to make an informed decision at all. No one. The FDA has not done that. In a September 5th article, the Epoch Times reported the FDA said it didn't think the reanalysis proved anything new about the safety of the vaccines. The agency questioned some of the methods, such as not including COVID-19 as a serious adverse event. NTD reached out to Pfizer and Moderna, but they didn't return requests for comment. Arlene Richards, NTD News, New York. And over in Texas, a rancher says there's a war on beef. He explains how American beef is being fed to China, while Americans have been unknowingly eating beef from other places, such as South America and Africa. NTD's Jason Perry has that story. They think that they are eating USDA prime beef that is from U.S., you know, territory or U.S. soil, but it usually isn't. Cattleman Texas Slim explains how major global food processors control the processing and distribution of beef. He says Americans are being eliminated from market access to the beef because it's sold to the highest bidder. That's usually China. That's usually, uh, you know, South Korea, the Asian countries, Japan, Europe. And so in the end, you can have like Texas raised beef that is actually being sold to China. And then you have beef that's being uh, basically raised in either South America or Africa. And that's actually what the beef, the Texans and the citizens of Texas are eating. And that's scaled down for, you know, people can understand better. And as the global food industry ships America beef to other countries in the world. Texas Slim says there's also another plan. And they're introducing this fake commodity, which is the fake meat industry that they've been working on for a good decade. They have technology behind it. They have they have a hundred billion dollar marketing plan behind it. And you can see it creeping into everybody's purview as far as, you know, mainstream media, you know, the, the saying that the, the cow is bad for the environment. He says profits are the main driving force behind it, not nutrition. You know, I call it the harvest of deception. They can cover those up and say, hey, you're a good citizen by, you know, eating this way. Look how clean and healthy it is. But actually, it's some of the most toxic food that you could be consuming. Then he offered some advice. The best thing you can do is just know where your food comes from. The more words it has on a package, you know, I ain't buying it. I eat food that doesn't have words on the package, but it takes a while to get there and some relationship building. Texas Slim is the founder of the Beef Initiative, which helps connect customers with ranchers in their area to have local beef delivered to their doorstep.
You can watch the full interview on The Nation Speaks with Cindy Drew Care on NTD.com or Epic TV. Jason Perry, NTD News. Coming up, Democrats and Republicans sounding fresh alarms over China. We'll bring you what's in a letter sent by House Speaker Nancy Pelosi and Senator Chuck Schumer to the president. And tonight in baseball, Yankees all-star outfielder Aaron Judge looks to tie one of baseball's most hallowed records as they take on the Blue Jays. That and more after this short break. Alarms sounding about China. Lawmakers from both sides of the aisle sent letters to the Biden administration. NTD's Iris Tao has more. Ramping up oversight of U.S. investments going into China. That's what lawmakers, including House Speaker Nancy Pelosi and Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer, are urging President Biden to do in a Tuesday letter. Congress has been considering legislation that would give the U.S. government new powers to bar billions of dollars in investments from going to China. But the proposal was stripped from the CHIPS Act passed in August. And now it still awaits further negotiations. But lawmakers say our national security cannot afford to wait citing an urgent need to protect supply chains and intellectual property. And thus, as 51 Republican lawmakers also sent a letter this week warning the administration of Chinese threats. Their focus, meanwhile, is on China buying up American farmland. Lawmakers led by Congressman Carlos Jimenez point to a Chinese manufacturer's acquisition of land just miles away from a U.S. Air Force base in North Dakota. And as these purchases raise red flags on the Hill, lawmakers are introducing legislation to ban foreign adversaries from buying land anywhere near U.S. military bases. Though further actions are needed to make that into law. Reporting in Washington, D.C., Iris Tao, NTD News. Europe is investigating leaks in two Russian gas pipelines that churn up the Baltic Sea with bubbles and raise concerns from Copenhagen to Moscow about sabotage on infrastructure at the heart of a European energy standoff. Sweden's maritime authority issued a warning about two leaks in the Nord Stream 1 pipeline on Tuesday, the day after a leak on the nearby Nord Stream 2 pipeline was discovered. Denmark's armed forces released a video showing bubbles boiling up to the surface of the sea. They are saying it has caused a surface disturbance of well over half a mile in diameter. The leaks happened before Tuesday's ceremonial launch of the Baltic pipe carrying gas from Norway to Poland. Today, we face an act of sabotage. We don't know yet all the details of what happened. But we see clearly that this is an act of sabotage, an act which likely means a further step of escalation of the situation in Ukraine. Danish energy authorities said it could take a week for gas to stop draining out of the Nord Stream 2 pipeline. Ships could lose buoyancy if they entered the area. The risk of explosions is increasing. Neither pipeline was pumping gas to Europe at the time the leaks were found. The incidents will scupper any remaining expectations that Europe could receive gas via Nord Stream 1 before winter. The operator, Nord Stream AG, said it was impossible to estimate when the gas network system's working capacity would be restored. The Kremlin said it did not rule out sabotage as a reason behind the damage to the pipelines. 
No option can be ruled out right now. It's clear that there is damage to the pipeline. We can't exclude any version of events regarding the reason for this before the results of the official investigation. Both pipelines have been flashpoints in an escalating energy war between European capitals and Moscow. And now over to sports news. Here's NTD's Dave Martin with today's top stories. Brooklyn Nets guard Kyrie Irving said he turned down a four-year extension worth more than $100 million prior to last season because of his decision to not get vaccinated against COVID-19. The seven-time All-Star missed all home games until late March because of New York City's vaccination mandate. Irving ended up playing in just 29 of a possible 82 games while the star-powered Nets fizzled out in the first round of the playoffs. This summer, Irving opted into a $36.5 million player option for this coming season and is set to be a free agent afterwards. In golf news, Phil Mickelson, Ian Poulter, Taylor Gooch and Hudson Swafford have asked to be dismissed as plaintiffs in Live Golf's federal antitrust lawsuit against the PGA Tour according to a notice of voluntary dismissal. The lawsuit accuses the PGA Tour of illegally suspending them for playing in Live Golf tournaments and using their monopoly power to beat the competition. Mickelson said in a statement Tuesday, I am pleased that the players on the tour are finally being heard, respected and valued and are benefiting from the changes recently implemented. Live Golf has set record amounts for golf event purses. In response, the PGA Tour has had to increase their payouts as well. And finally, tonight in baseball, all 30 Major League teams are in action, including the Yankees and star outfielder Aaron Judge. Judge hasn't homered since hitting number 60 six games ago. The four-time All-Star is still on pace to be the second Triple Crown winner in the last 55 years, while sitting just one home run away from tying Roger Maris's American League record. That's all for your sports news today. Back to you, Steph. Thanks, Dave. And that's all for today's news. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Stephanie Cox.